You know, uh, one of the greatest privileges as a pastor is when someone lets me walk with them through their life. That, of course, includes all of the great things, um, marriages, having children, getting a promotion, doing all of these things, but it also includes all of the difficult times in their life. Um, sometimes that's a sudden loss. Other times it's a season of waiting. Many times these members, these people that I'm walking with, their feelings of disappointment are so immense. Um, their feelings of sadness overwhelm them. And there's other times when they're just angry. They're upset and they're confused at God. And in those times, they look to me a lot for something, right? As a pastor, they're looking to me for some type of guidance. And in those times, I am next to them and I am thinking just one thing. I have no idea what to say. When someone experiences a loss of a family member, what can you really say? If someone is praying for years and they haven't received an answer, what can you really say? And so in those times, a lot of times, I kind of draw a blank. But in those times, I always do one thing. I pray for them. And as I pray for them, I pray something really specific for them. That even in this time, that even in the most difficult times, that even when they are so disappointed and confused and upset and sad, that they would simply remember the promises of God. That they would remember the character of God. That he is faithful to the very end. That the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That the Bible tells us that even in the worst storms of our life, that the Lord is the, is, the, is the Lord over the storms. That even in any situation that we can fathom and imagine, that his love for us is unending, it is everlasting, that there is no height nor depth, there is no angel nor demon, there is nothing on heaven or on earth that can separate us from his love. And therefore, when we put our faith in him and in his character and in the promises that he has for us, that there is nothing for us to fear. That all darkness, all sadness, all of those things will disappear in light of the glorious character and beauty of our Lord. That as terrible and as hard as this life can be sometimes, that we have the ultimate hope of glory in heaven. See, my church, this is the way that I pray for my brothers and sisters who I'm able to walk with. And I believe that God answers those prayers because many of those members who I walk with are able to be at peace. They're able to have joy and they're able to continue to be thankful in all circumstances because, you see, their source of joy was not found in that situation. It was not in that circumstance. It was ultimately found in the character of God and the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because their, their foundation of truth, their foundation of faith was found in Jesus, it didn't matter what went on around them. They were secure in who they were as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And they knew that at the end of their lives, 
that they would be going to heaven to be with him forever. My brothers and sisters, this is the truth of the Bible. For Christians, our actions stem from one thing, our belief in God. The way that we serve one another, the way that we act towards one another, the things that we are able to say and behave and do, those things all come from the foundation of strength of, of our God. If we put our faith in other people, if we put our faith in this world, then it will always crumble. Because what we understand and what we believe is that everything in this life is temporary. Everything in this life will gather moth and rust and will one day disappear. And yet what is the truth is that there is one person that will not fail. There is one person that is eternal, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. For us, if we have complete faith in God and what he has done for us, then there is nothing in this world that will break us and we will be able to pour out and give to others in a way that other people won't be able to understand. You know, there's a historian named Rodney Stark and he wrote about the great plagues that happened in Rome back then. And he said that during those times, at its height, it was so devastating that 5,000 people a day were dying. These plagues ended up wiping out 25% of the entire population of Rome. Now, what they understood back then was that these plagues were uh, spread through contact. Therefore, before uh, anything else, what we understood or what they found out was that the people who were rich and could afford it and those who were influential began to just stream out of the city because they were afraid of dying. But you see, the one group that ended up staying were those who were called Christians. The Christians stayed in the cities and they cared for the sick. And as a result, many of those Christians ended up dying. And many of them were mocked and made fun of for staying. Now, church, why would they have stayed? It was for this one simple reason, that their source of strength was not in people, it was in God. Their source of strength was not in the approval of man or about how they could live in this world. It was based purely upon the hope of heaven. And because they understood and had a long-term view, a Christian view of knowing that this is only a pit stop in their eternal life in heaven, that this was only a breath a wind that's going to pass away and that they were going to be next to Jesus in heaven forever. They were able to be courageous and strong in what they were doing today. That's why in the face of death, they were still able to be courageous. They were able to, to, to still care and to love and to give because they understood what Paul said is the secret to the Christian life. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm going to live for you, Jesus Christ. I'm going to do everything for your glory. But at the same time, even if I die, that's okay. That's completely fine because I'm going somewhere better. I'm not going in the grave. I'm going up to heaven. These Christians here understood what they were doing because their source of strength was in God alone. My brothers and sisters, I believe that this is our story as well. 
that for us as we move forward in our lives, that as we continue to serve one another, give to one another, grow in fellowship and in community with one another, that our source of strength can only be found in Jesus Christ. That if it is found in Jesus, then we're able to endure and give and to have everlasting, and to have, uh, everlasting joy and peace in whatever situation that we are in. You know, for myself, as I was praying about what to speak on today, all I kept thinking about was our church. I kept thinking about what's, what has happened over the past few years and what is to happen in the next few years. For those who may not know, our church is going to be starting a building project in the next year. And once that starts, it's going to be the biggest building project that our church has come across in the past 20 years. We're going to be renovating a lot of the spaces. We're going to be building a, a building in the back. We're going to be doing a lot of these other things. It's going to be such a great thing. We're going to be landscaping and putting in over 100 trees over this entire area as well. And it's going to be a great thing. But the one thing that I kept on thinking as I was praying about these different things was, man, uh, our church is not made up of a building. Our church is not made up of these walls. Our church is not made up of renovations or of these other things. Our church is made up of members who find their source of strength in Jesus Christ. That if as long as we find our source of strength in Jesus and what he has done, that he has died on the cross for our sins, that he has risen again, and that if we believe in him, that we can go to heaven, that if we put our faith in that one thing, then we are able to serve and to give and to love one another. And I guarantee you that there will be revival in this church. And as the, if there's revival in this church, why wouldn't God bring revival in this city and in this country and in this world? Why not start here? So for a lot of us, and I'm putting myself in this too, I think so much, okay, once this building starts, man, man, that's when we, things can really start. Once this renovation begins, now we can really get on step two or step three or step four. But the one thing that I kept on seeing here, one thing that God kept on reminding me, was that, no, no, it's not going to start when the building starts. It starts today with you. It starts today with us. That for us, everything stems from our belief in Jesus Christ. And therefore, now we can do good works. Now we can spur one another on. Now we can encourage each other. Now we can do these things. Because it's not coming from this world or from us. It's coming from the source of strength found in Jesus Christ. You see, my church, this passage is found on the importance of serving and loving one another. And this passage is famous because um, this author writes about why we should meet and how we should do so. But one thing that you will see as you read this passage is that he doesn't immediately go into how we should serve or what we should do. The first thing he writes about is our source of strength. You see, verses 19 to 20, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Back then, the presence of God was found in a place called the Holy of Holies. Now, this was a room back in the temple of God, that was so sacred, that was so holy, that was so precious, that only one person, the high priest, could enter in. 
And not only that, the high priest needed to be clean of his sins. He needed to make sure that he followed all the laws to a T, or else if he entered with any type of sin in him, if he entered with any type of law that he didn't follow, he would immediately drop down dead. And what's interesting is that scholars say that even now, when you go into Jerusalem, there's a place that's marked off in the temple because they believe that that's where the Holy of Holies used to be. And so they make sure that Jewish people aren't able to walk across just in case. You see, there was so much fear that came with the presence of God that back then when you thought about God, it wasn't about love, it wasn't about joy, it wasn't about peace, it was all about the wrath of God and the holiness of God. Because one thing was clear, that the holiness of God can never come in contact with the sinfulness of man. And because we as a people were so sinful that no matter what we did, no matter how hard we tried to keep the laws, no matter how faithful we were to going to church, no matter how much we prayed, it didn't matter. That at the end of the day, God was so holy and we were so sinful that there was always a gap there. But it's interesting because in this passage, it says that now, now, church, we have a confidence going before our God. That now there is no fear anymore. And it's because of one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, what's happened is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says that his righteousness came upon us, that his blood covered us. And so when God looks at us, he sees perfection. He sees righteousness. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're able to draw near to God because Jesus Christ is the one who covers us. And his blood is the one who allows us to go before the Lord. For us, we understand that God is a God of justice and a God of mercy, yes. But in that moment when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God poured out his justice upon Jesus so that we could receive his mercy forevermore. And so for us, what, how, how thankful should we be? I know that this isn't necessarily a Thanksgiving sermon, I know that this isn't necessarily a sermon talking about how to be thankful, but in this one area, man, I don't think I have to say any more. That as Christians, what more can we be thankful for than this? That if we truly believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and now his righteousness is imputed or brought upon us, that now we can have a relationship with God where we come to him in full confidence and boldness that we're able to pray to him and seek after him and find that everlasting peace and supernatural joy by being in his presence. What more do we want? What more could we ask for? What more can we be thankful for? That is the truest, that's, that's the greatest thing that we can be grateful for as a Christian. For me, I love the story of Luke 15 of the prodigal son where the son goes away, spends all of his money, does everything bad that you can imagine, and yet he comes back to the father. And the father, instead of shunning him, instead of telling him to go away, instead of being upset at him, runs out to the son, embraces him, and brings him back into the fold. 
The son goes to the father, repentant, and the father immediately brings him back. That is our father in heaven as well, my brothers and sisters. That he is a God of forgiveness. That when we repent before him, he will come and he will open his arms and embrace us. It's the same thing. The justice that we deserved, Jesus took it all on the cross. And therefore, it's because of Jesus that we're able to go to co- with confidence to God. That's why this passage says that we go in confidence before the Lord. Another word for confidence is boldness. It's why uh, our relationship to God is so often compared to a father-child relationship. That if you have children, those children are able to come to, your fa- to you as a father at any time, any moment, because they know that they are your child. Even for me at this age, I know that I can go to my father at any time, at any moment, because I am his son. I have that position within uh, the household. And in the same way for us, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we were called his sons and his daughters, that he is now our father in heaven. And therefore, we have complete access to him at all times. That is our source of strength. That is where our joy and our gratefulness and our thankfulness comes from, my church. And so after speaking about this one fact, he goes on to talk about how we should act among our our community, upon our church. Let me read to you verses 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, in the New Testament, the church was a place not where you only went to get taught or a place where you only went to get counseled or a place where you only meant to uh, get disciplined or anything like that. The church was a place where you were meant to counsel one another. It was a place where you were meant to teach one another. It It was meant to be a place where you discipline and encourage one another. It was always meant to be done in mutuality, in community with each other. Verses 20, verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together. You see, a congregation is like grapes on a vine, all organically related to each other. That meeting together literally means congregation. And so therefore, when you think of a congregation, it's not just a random group of people coming together to hear a sermon and then walking away. That's not a congregation. A congregation is a group of people who are willing to live life together, who are willing to organically be together and walk together in in their daily life, be able to encourage, rebuke, do all these things together. And that's why for us, we have a misconception of the purpose of a Christian. Because the purpose of a Christian we see here is not just to come in and just to watch a sermon or just to hear some praise songs and to leave. The purpose of a Christian is to be able to go in, be able to work and live life together, and to be able to correct and encourage and rebuke one another and grow together as a community. That is the purpose that you were made for. And yet so many of us have twisted or have a misunderstanding where we think, okay, I've come and done my purpose as a Christian. I've come and done what I need to do. I I come on Sundays and that's it. You know, for me, there's times when I go to the gym and I go to the gym, I put my stuff away in the locker, I, I come to the weight room, and I see people grunting and sweating, and I say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do it today. No, no, no. And I look in the mirror, I flex for a couple minutes, and then I go home. Now, you know what's crazy? In those times, 
I feel like I worked out still. And those times in my mind, I convinced myself that, hey, Danny, you did a good job. You worked out. You can, you can enjoy kind of the fruits of your labor and eat a good meal, right? I, I, I convinced myself of that. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of weird that way. And that sounds funny, but for so many of us as Christians, don't we do the same thing? That we come before the Lord on a Sunday, we spend an hour here, we then go home and we think, okay, I've done my purpose as a Christian. I've done what I need to do. Now I can kind of take a step back and do what I want to do. But I want you to see that the Christian walk was never meant to be walked that way. That we're meant to be in community with each other at all times. That that's why life group is pressed upon us so much that we are called to live life together. Encourage, rebuke, talk to each other. And I want you to know, man, that this is a gift from God that he's given us. It's not a burden. Because if you are a Christian, God has imbued, God has bestowed upon you gifts He has given you the ability. He has built you to be able to speak life into other people. And for you to not do that, for you to simply come to church and not be involved in the community, for you not to be involved with other people's lives, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're wasting the gifts that God has given you. And so get in the game. Join us. Be a part of this community. God has given you something that other people do not have. And so come in and just live life together with us in this community. Amen? Yeah. We are called for so much more than this. You know, C.S. Lewis, he, he wrote in Mere Christianity, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. I believe this too, that yes, God, he works through supernatural ways. He speaks through all these different other avenues. But at the end of the day, I believe that God speaks to us most clearly and, and he really works in our lives most clearly through each other, through the church. He goes on to say, it's easy to think that the church has many purposes, education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all those purposes is one that the church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ. And so for us as a church, are we doing these things? Are we building up each other in this way? Are we able to draw each other towards Christ? Now the question is, how do we draw each other towards Christ? That's a good question. Let me try to answer that here for you, right? There's three things that we see the Bible says here. I'm just going to really briefly touch on them. The first one is considering. Notice it says in this passage, let us consider. What does that mean? All it means is, let us stop. Let us think. Let's take a pause. Right? For us, we know that this life can be hectic. We know that life can go at a million miles per hour. But the Bible never tells us that we should follow the pace of the world. What the Bible tells us is that we should stop and consider and reflect upon our own lives. My church, my brothers and sisters, the greatest thing that you can do for your own spiritual walk is to take time, pause, and reflect upon your relationship with God. How is it truly going? Have you grown more yesterday? Have you grown more today than you have yesterday? Have you grown more this year than you have last year? Is your faith increasing over the past five years? 
It is so vitally important for you to constantly and continually be looking upon your own self and upon your own heart. Stop trying to match to the world's pace. The world is not going in the right direction, church. Follow what the Bible says. Let us consider. Take time. In the church, do you have anyone who is willing to say to you, how can I help you to grow? Is there anyone in your church, a brother or sister, who you can sit down with and say, hey, is there a way that I can pray for you? Is there a way that I can, talk, I can speak life into you? Is there a way that, man, in what area can I really be helping you and keeping you accountable in to help you grow as a brother or sister? Do you have that? Are you willing to say that to somebody else? I pray and I hope that that would be the mark of our church, that we would be a people who, even though it can be uncomfortable, it can be almost embarrassing, that we would be able to look for brothers and sisters and be active and proactive in that way and ask each other, hey, how can I be praying for you? How can I be serving you? And how can I be loving you in this way? How can I help you to grow as a Christian? The second thing is stirring others on. In the Greek, to stir someone on literally means to irritate them. It means to nag them. It means to annoy them. It means that when you know that they're going in the wrong direction, when they're going in a way that you don't think is biblical, when you know that they're not following after the Lord, you are willing to irritate them to turn in the right direction. Now, what's an example of an irritation? Well, as a pastor, I can tell you, it's when someone doesn't go to church, I'm texting them, I'm messaging them, and even if they don't respond, I'll keep messaging them until they do respond. And for a lot of people, that can say, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. But we're talking about what the Bible says here. I'm not saying, hey, do you have that gifting or not? I'm not saying, hey, do you, are you kind of an extrovert, introvert? No, no. I'm not, stop thinking about that stuff. I'm talking about what the Bible says. And the Bible says that if we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, then the way that we should be treating each other is to stir one another up. That if someone's going in the wrong direction, we're willing to irritate them, to stir them, to help them to grow because we care about them to that point. And lastly, the third thing we see is encouragement. To encourage means simply, we know this, to lift up and to support. In the Greek, it's interesting. To encourage means to come alongside and give breath to them. I think that's a really pretty beautiful way of expressing it. It means that if you're walking with them, that you are encouraging them. It means that to, to walk alongside somebody means you, you know what they're going through. You have walked with them step after step. And in their situation of life, in, in their specific area that you know that they're doing well in, you're able to bring that out to light and you're able to speak into their life to support them. You know, for some of us, we say, okay, let's do a word of encouragement. And so, you know, I'll, I'll look at this person and I don't really know them. So I'll say, hey, you know, John or Jane or whatever. I'll say, hey, you know, you seem like a really cool girl or cool guy. And uh, you, I hope that's a word of encouragement to you. But I want you to know that those general encouragements are not biblical encouragements. A biblical encouragement is when you're walking alongside somebody and in their walk of life, you're able to bring out something specific and lift that out and say it to them in order to support them and give them strength. That's encouragement. 
That's how we should be treating each other. But when our source of strength is from God, it's not just other people that we are talking to and we're giving strength to and how we should and talking about how we should deal with. We're also dealing with ourselves. Because God changes us when our source of strength is His. You see, the author says that two things happen. The first is that we draw near to God, and the second thing is that we're able to hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. Now, what does it mean to draw near to God um, in full assurance of faith? It means that if I put my, let's, let's say this, if I put my faith in you, right? If I put my faith completely on you, it means that my faith is completely dependent upon your work and upon your character. That if you mess up, that if you don't follow through what you say, that my faith is going to break. And that's why for us, when we put our faith in anything in this world, whether that's our boss, whether that's our parents, whether that's anything or anyone else, it's going to fail for one reason. There is no one perfect in this world. And yet, there is only one person that we know is perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we are putting our faith in Jesus Christ because we understand that his character is sure. We understand that his work is secure. We understand that he is not going to fail. And so we put our faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, every situation that comes through our lives, we're able to endure and able to have joy and able to be thankful because our faith is not in those things. Our faith is in God. And that's why, my brothers and sisters, our relationship with God is completely predicated upon our reading of the word and upon our prayers to him. And I know I, you don't, I know you don't want to hear this again and again, but reading the Bible and praying is so important for your spiritual health. And so, you know what, what I'm, going to say, I'm going to say it one more time. Reading the Bible and praying is so important for you, Okay. I want you to understand that. It is so vitally important. The Bible says that drawing near is so crucial for us as Christians. Drawing near is another word for trampling, for uh, drawing near is another word for seeking after the Lord. Now the word seeking after the Lord, another word for that uh, in the English is trampling underfoot. It means that when you're going to a place, you, are trample, you trample the ground so often to that place that there is a, a well-worn footpath to there. And so when you are drawing near to God, it means that you have gone to God so often in the same way that there is this pathway that you can find again and again and again. For us, how many of us have that? Is there an area in our room that we go to again and again to pray? Is there a Bible that we have that we're able to read again and again and again? Is there a place that we're able to trample underfoot because we have gone there again and again? I want to really encourage you. Man, if you haven't done that, now is the time to start. Now is the time to grow in your relationship with God. He desires that relationship. That will be your greatest weapon in the face of any type of disappointment in the face of any type of circumstance, your greatest weapon is going to be your faith in God. And your faith is God is predicated upon your relationship with him based upon the word of God and upon prayer. Are you reading? Are you praying? And lastly, 
when we believe in the truth of the gospel, it says here we are able to hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know that word confession? Do you know what it means? It means public proclamation. You know when you guys get baptized? When you are baptized, before you get baptized, what do you usually do? You give a testimony. And that's called the confession of faith. Because what you're doing is you're publicly proclaiming to the people around you that you are going to hold on to God, that he is your savior forevermore, and therefore you want to get baptized. It is your public confession to everybody to keep you accountable of that. And here it says at the same time, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For us as Christians, we are publicly able to declare that our hope is in God. Because no matter what happens, we understand that at the end of our lives is not, a, is not the grave, it's heaven. That at the end of our lives is not just death, it's life. And so therefore, we are able to publicly proclaim and tell other people to hold us accountable. That in whatever situation, that we're able to have joy, we're able to have peace. We're able to be thankful in all circumstances. Because of this one truth, that we have a whole eternal hope of glory. And that's in heaven. How sad it is. How sad would it be if our lives simply just ended here? That we have maybe, maybe at most 80, 80 years. That of all the ups and downs we experience, that's it for us. How sad would that be? And yet for us as Christians, we understand that this is only a breath. This is only wind. That this is only a small stop for us as Christians who will in the future, go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ forever. That we are just strangers in this world, that we are just tourists passing through to our ultimate citizenship up in heaven. And so my brothers and sisters, my church, I pray that as we go through this week, as we go through Thanksgiving, as we think about all that God has done for us, that we would be so content, so grateful in all that God has done in the work of Jesus Christ. That he is so good to us. That he has died on the cross for our sins. That his righteousness is upon us. That when we believe in him, we are able to go to heaven to be with him. And so what don't we have to be thankful for? If God is for us, then who can really be against us? Even if this world has everything against us, man, we have peace. We have joy. We are able to be thankful in all circumstances because our God is our source of joy. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.